we began with this motto verse. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers for all God's people. And we're going to kind of continue that theme this morning by looking at a psalm that is not very often preached on, uh, Psalm 6, and you'll find that on page 545, page 545 in the church Bibles. And as I read this, I want you to consider with me what is the occasion of this prayer, this song, and what is... uh, Look too at the different kinds of prayers that are spoken of in this psalm. So let's take time to read this. Psalm 6. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, Heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. No one remembers you when he is dead, who praises you from his grave. I'm worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. This is God's word. Now keep your Bibles open. We're going to examine this psalm together. Have you ever cried yourself to sleep? Have you ever um, been so heartbroken that you just can't stop weeping. I wonder what, what caused those tears. We cry for lots of reasons, don't we? Uh, we do on occasion cry for joy, but more often than not, our tears are about um, grieving, a sense of loss, uh, a sense of shame perhaps, maybe It's out of weakness or tiredness or frustration. And more often than not, our tears flow because we are feeling that the enormous pain of of a damaged relationship, a broken relationship. Maybe you've heard the the song, Cry Me a River. It's been covered by lots of um, artists, but I think originally it was sung by Julie London and Ella Fitzgerald. And in the lyrics it says this, Now you say you are lonely, you cry the whole night through. Well, you can cry me a river. 
Cry me a river. I cried a river over you. And here we have in Psalm 6 a, a, a much older song than the one in the 1950s, which speaks similarly of kind of crying through the night, weeping. And King David, it says, according to the, um, the writing on the top of the psalm, which is in the original text, it's a psalm of David. Uh, he wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's why we have it in our Bibles. And here is uh, David experiencing something of, of exhaustion, of weeping, and of tears. Look at verse 6. I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. I've learned from the commentaries that uh, in the original Hebrew poetry, he's, he's speaking really of his tears turning his bed almost into a swimming pool. Verse 7. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. He's, he's crying until his eye ducts kind of dry up. He's got no more tears to cry. Now, what is upsetting him so much? You know, when I first casually looked at it, I thought, well, it's, it's about these enemies. But I don't think it is about that. It's much more than that. He's crying over a broken relationship. But that relationship that he's weeping over is his relationship with God. And I wonder, have we ever been distressed in that way as we've considered our relationship with God? Now this psalm, it divides into two main sections. And the first seven verses deals with this anxious prayer. And look at the, the reasons given for this anxious prayer. First of all, it's a, he's got a sense of God's anger. Verse 1, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. David's conscience is uneasy. He knows that he's done things that are wrong. He knows that he's deserving of God's judgment in some way. Look at verse 2. He doesn't ask God to give him justice, does he? What does he ask him to do? Give him mercy. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. He's asking God to have mercy to temper the discipline that is, he feels is due to him. And this awareness of his sin causes him significant symptoms. He's, he's languishing, he's, he's weak, he feels sick. Uh, verse 2, O oh Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. Medical researchers are, are, are just developing an ever-increasing knowledge of the ways that physical and uh, the, the, the sort of the physical, physical expression that can come about through uh, mental anxiety, through depression. Uh, people can feel uh, what they would describe as intense and excruciating pain in parts of their body where physically there is nothing to see. Uh, as a dentist, I had people coming to me experiencing terrible dental pain. And actually, it was linked with their depression. And, and David is, is, is so feeling the weight of this sense of God's anger against him. It feels like his, his bones are aching inside of him. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever felt 
something like this, this sense of isolation and loneliness. Have you ever thought, gosh, nobody else feels like this? Well, in God's kindness, uh, he's caused that this psalm is in this book, this uh, book of songs that would be sung by God's people. And who's this singing it? Is this some emotionally high-strung wimp? I don't think so. Uh, This is David. This is the king. This is the man who faced up to Goliath. Uh, This is the man who frequently led armies into battle successfully. He is a warrior, and yet he experiences nights like this. I hope that there's some encouragement there for you. If you've ever experienced anything close to this, that this is something written in God's Word. In fact, if you look at the headings, it's, it's, it's for the director of music. It's even given the, the tune, uh, whatever that tune was. Shemayanith, I don't know, we don't know, we don't have the music. So presumably, this is a psalm that would have been sung on some sort of regular basis amongst God's people. How extraordinary. Uh, One of the critiques of the evangelical church today is all we do is sing happy songs that can seem very trite when often people are suffering. And uh, perhaps we need a few more songs in the minor key uh, to experience this reality that God's people will feel from time to time. Certainly King David is feeling it here, is he not? And so I wonder whether we've had this cry of verse 3. How long, O Lord? How long? Notice with me that God's saints can have times of, of prolonged agony. Where we have long gone beyond the point where we felt that God should maybe come through with the answer. How long? How long, O Lord? Maybe that expresses how you feel today. It's okay to be frank with God. Do you see that encouragement? It's okay to say to the Lord, how long? Uh, How long do I have to bear this loneliness? How long do I have to cope with this pain and sickness? How long do I have to bear this feeling that you're against me, God? And I don't know what your circumstances are. But I think sometimes when we feel like a lot of things have been against us, we are beginning to think, well, is the Lord disciplining me? Is there something really bad in my life and, and this is his discipline? Or worse, is he punishing me? How long, O oh Lord, is David's cry? Be gracious to me. Be merciful to me. Heal me. That's the first reason for his anxious appeal. He's got a sense of God's anger. But it's compounded in verses 4 and 5. He he has a sense of God's absence. Turn, O Lord, it says. This is is perhaps even worse than the thought of God's anger, is the thought that God might be absent. He's actually got to the point where he's given up on us and he's turned his back against us. And so David calls, turn, O Lord. And what he's saying to God is, turn back to me. Return back to me, God. Somehow he has a sense that maybe God has walked away. And he gives some reasons to God why he should turn back to him. 
There's two reasons here. We're going to consider the first one in verse 5 to begin with. Look at verse 5. No one remembers you when he is dead. Who praises you from his grave? Now remember, this is an Old Testament saint. This is someone before the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I'm not sure we should get all our theology of life after death from this verse. I'm quite convinced of it, in fact. What David is making is quite a a, a simple point. The way that Spurgeon puts it is this way. Cemeteries are silent places. Graves do not echo with songs. And David is is appealing to God to say, actually, what he lives for is to praise God. And if he dies, he won't be able to do that. Now, it's an extraordinary statement, isn't it? I wonder, why do you want to live this week? You know, if you were thinking that death could be coming Why would you be arguing with God? I want to live this week, God, because... What would it be? I want to live this week, God, because of... Well, David says he lives to praise God. He he wants to remember all the good things that God has done to those around him so that others will praise God. He lives to praise God. And actually, this is the supreme reason for the Christian to live. We live that we may glorify God. We live that we may praise Him. Actually, the reason why we want to live this week is that we'll get the opportunity next Sunday to come back to Charlotte Chapel so we can praise God together. And we can glorify Him throughout the rest of the week. I don't know whether you've had an experience where you've, through illness or whatever, you can't come on a Sunday. I I was laid low a few, um, six or seven weeks ago. And I, I have to say, I really miss not being here. It is a great privilege to sing God's praises amongst his, his people. And David says, that's what I live for. To praise you, to glorify you. And there's a third reason here for his anxious appeal in verses 6 and 7. It is sleeplessness. Now that might sound a bit trivial compared to the first two points, but it's not if you've ever struggled with sleeplessness. (laughs) How desperate, how depressing life is in the middle of the night. You're the only one awake. And you can feel so lonely, can't you? And in the middle of the night, they talk about the night terrors, don't they? Suddenly, all your worst fears come out from under your bed and shout in your face in the middle of the night. And there's been long nights of sleeplessness for David. And in verses 6 and 7, it's like his verbal prayers have stopped. He's, he's beyond self-help. He's beyond good advice. He, the, 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 the foes sense his weakness. They seem to be gathering in around him. And rather than stirring him to action, he just feels defeated as if he's going to be crushed further. Verse 7, my eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. And what's clear by the end of verse 7 is that if anything is going to happen here to save him, it will not be by his own efforts. 
He's too weak. He's too tired. He's spent. But what has he done? What has he done? It's so obvious. But we need to observe it. He turns to the Lord in prayer. That's what he's done. It doesn't get more practical than this. Why is this psalm of tears and weeping in, in the scriptures? Because it tells us something vital that we, uh, that we do not instinctively feel. Imagine a situation where you really have done something bad against somebody. You, you really have let someone down. You've, you've messed up in a significant way. And you know that they are really angry at you. Are you thinking, oh, I'm just going to pop around and see them and say hi? Is that what you're thinking? Oh, no. You don't want to see them. (laughs) You you know, you you don't don't think you're going to be welcomed. Can't just casually pop in when someone's angry with you and against you. And when we have this realization of the awfulness of our sin and begin to think to ourselves, well, probably. God's turned his back against me. It is not our natural instinct that we think that we're going to be welcomed. In fact, we might think, I've got to keep away from God. God's not going to listen to me. Um, I don't don't deserve for God to listen to me. I've blown it. And somehow I think we've got a, a twisted pride in us where we think, well, actually, we'll approach God when we've got some bargaining strength. I've had, a, I've had a great week, God. I, you must be so happy I'm on your team. I'm going to approach you in prayer. And, and I think this psalm is teaching us something very powerful here. That the time that we need to approach God is not when we are strong, but when we are weak. Here is this amazing thing, that this holy God, who does hate sin, welcomes those that have sinned against him to turn to him in prayer. It's an amazing thing. We, we would not imagine it, but here it is in the psalm, and, and David's acting it out. He, he's appealing to the Lord who is angry at him, who he senses his wrath against him, and he turns to him for mercy. Now, how can we do this? How, how is it possible? How can we ask uh, for deliverance and salvation? And the wonderful thing is it's all bound up with the name and the character of this God. Uh, five times in the first four verses, uh, you see the, the capitals L-O-R-D. You know, a hundred years ago, uh, they would talk about Jehovah as this name. Uh, modern scholars think it's more likely Yahweh. But... Whenever you see these capitals, L-O-R-D, it is speaking of the personal revealed name of God. So if you were to meet me, and we're being very formal, you, 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 know, you might call me Pastor Reese or uh, something like that. Uh, and I say, well, no, call me Paul. That's my personal name. And this is the personal name of God that he revealed to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want you to know my personal name. It is, it is Yahweh. And when he gives his personal name, it's an invitation that we can call upon him. You know, sometimes I say to people, 
Don't hesitate to call me if there's a problem. You've got my numbers. Just get in touch. And when God gives his personal name, he's saying that. He's saying, here's my number. Get in touch. This is, the, this is the Lord who graciously made promises to Abraham, has made promises uh, to his people, and he's a God who keeps those promises. A promise-giving and a promise-keeping God. And it is on that basis that David turns to him. Look at verse 4. Turn, O Lord, return to me, O Lord, and deliver me, save me, because of your unfaithfulness failing love. God had made a a special promise to David. You can read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And you'll read this. My love will never be taken away from you. My love will never be taken away from you, David. God had given him a promise. And you see what David's doing here? He's arguing on the promises of God. Uh, Dale Ralph Davis puts it this way. Uh, He paraphrases verse 4 in this way. Save me, for you have pledged yourself to deal lovingly with me, and I'm holding you to your words. You've promised to love me forever, Yahweh. So love me. Remember me. Hear me. And you know what? That is the same basis And the same confidence that we can come and approach God today. Because those promises made to King David flow all the way down to King David's greater son, Jesus the Messiah. And by faith in Jesus, we can lay hold of the same promise of God's unfailing love. And we dare to approach God, not because of our faithful love to him, but because of his faithful love to us. The Messiah, David, experienced these things. And quite often what you see in the life of David is a picture of what would happen for Messiah Jesus. And we read it, did we not? In Mark 14, the night before his crucifixion, he experienced a long, sleepless night of anguished prayer. And as he considered the next day uh, of when he would have to drink the cup of God's wrath uh, against uh, our sin, it says he was weeping and crying. And in the middle of the next days, he hung upon the cross, surrounded by a supernatural darkness. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In a sense, uh, Messiah David here uh, is probably quite right in in, in fearing and being anxious about uh, God's anger that might be against him. And and, and even fearing the potential of God's absence. But Jesus actually experienced those very things upon him. God's wrath for our sin. God's absence as he cries out, why have you forsaken me? He voluntarily experienced this psalm. 
He was sinless. He didn't need to. And yet he came and offered himself to enter into this very experience in order to save and deliver us. Because he swapped places with us on the cross, because he took God's punishment for us, we can be certain that God will never turn away from us. We can be certain that God would never be condemning us. My friends, if you are in Christ, if you are trusting Christ, even in those dark, dark nights of tears, know this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and by faith in Jesus, we can always turn to the Lord in prayer, just like David in verse 4, because of his unfailing love. What a precious thing. A wonderful thing. And, and so these first seven verses about anxious prayer, there is an amazing shift that happens in verses 8 and 10. And it moves from a minor key to a major one. Uh, as he moves to assured confidence. Away from me, verse 8. Away from me, all who do evil. And do, do you sense the note in which David seems to have regained uh, fresh confidence? He, he's freshly defiant against those enemies. He's speaking here as a king. He's asserting his right to uh, purge his realm of all evildoers. And then in verse 10, you see the outcome that he looks forward to. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. Now where did this confidence come from? Where did it come from? Well, notice with me, it came from his time of prayer. Uh, I read another great quote from Dale Ralph Davis this last week. Prayer does not change things, but lays hold of the God who changes things. Isn't that good? Prayer doesn't change things. Prayer lays hold of the God who changes things and who in prayer changes us. And that's exactly what is going on in this psalm. Through those long nights of weeping and tears, as he waits upon God, he experiences a fresh touch from God, a fresh confidence of God's nearness, and, and a renewed confidence that God will act. Because sandwiched in between the, um, the command of verse 8 and the certainty of what will happen in verse 10, you have um, these, this threefold expression, For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. Now notice the beauty of that expression. The Lord has heard my weeping. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. Have you noticed the type of prayer here? There's a type of prayer that's called wet prayer. Have you engaged in wet prayer? It's, it's when... It's when even you don't really have the words left and all you're doing is weeping before the Lord. And here's David's confidence. The Lord has heard my weeping. Isn't that beautiful? His tears are considered prayers before the throne of grace. 
it is a wonderful psalm of repentance. And I wonder, have you ever repented of your sin? Have you ever repented of your sin? See, this psalm does highlight to me that sin should really concern us. It does actually separate us from God. Verse 5 is a sober reminding, reminder to us that the point of death is the key dividing point. It is only in this life that we can respond to the grace of God. That we can choose to praise God with our lips. And death is that key decisive dividing point beyond which we can no longer make that choice. And after that, there is nothing but eternal separation from all God's blessings. Instead of experiencing His, uh, instead of experiencing His blessing, we will experience His wrath if we if we go to death in unrepentant sin. If we've never turned to God, we are facing His condemnation. Now this psalm actually is quoted a couple of times or alluded to in the New Testament. And it is Psalm 8 that is quoted. Away from me, all you who do evil. So Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then Jesus quotes Psalm 6 verse 8. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus in his earthly life um, was a rejected king. And maybe you are here today and you're still rejecting him as king. Christianity just looks weak and foolish to you. You've never wanted to acknowledge Jesus as king. You've ignored him. And what I have to point out to you from this psalm is that there is this other note of victory. That the, 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 the rejected king will return again in glory to judge. David's defiance at the end, the certainty that all enemies will be ashamed and dismayed, they'll be turned back in a sudden, will be true. There is a decisive point where Christ will return. And all those who have continued to reject him and oppose him and rebel against God will be enemies who will, in a moment, be turned away. I want to warn you of the great danger of rejecting Jesus as your king. Of failing to receive his forgiveness. There's only a limited time period. It's either now until Jesus comes back or now until you die. And at that point of death, the decision is set. There is no more opportunity to repent. Now is the day to decide to repent of your sin. Now is the day to, to acknowledge the kingship of Jesus. Now is the time to grab hold of that salvation that he purchased for you at the cross and say, Lord, please take my sin. I receive your forgiveness. Today is that day 
of opportunity. Anne Johnson got to live till she was, was it 97? But there's no guarantee of a long life like that, is there? I don't know whether we, you know, we'll all be here next week. None of us knows that. And if you're not a Christian, if you've never repented, can I say to you, today is the day to receive Christ. And my Christian friends, if you are experiencing sleepless nights and anguished prayers, and through many tears you are saying, how long, O Lord, know from Psalm 6, he hears your prayers. You might not even feel that that's the case. But here's the promises of of his word. Build your life on the promises. He hears our prayers. He hears our weeping. And even as we we cry, how long, O Lord, we know that we are heard because of his unfailing love. And listen to what he says at the end of the book. Behold, I am coming soon. How long, O Lord? I'm coming soon. Let's pray.